This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey, y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. And this is episode 69. It is going to be a best of pod show. I'm going to be re-releasing the episode with Marie Wachke, a.k.a. the Depressed Auntie, who is the curator of the moral support comedy show that I was a performer in last week at the Ruby Theater here in Los Angeles. This episode was episode six of the show. So it was one of my very early recordings. And at the time that I recorded it, I didn't have the same equipment that I have now nor did I have the same skills that I have. So when it was first released, the audio was terrible. In this year and a half, I've developed more skills. So luckily, I was able to clean up the audio or most of the audio on this episode. And so re-releasing it will give it a fresh, you know, fresh release, I guess, because it did sound kind of rough in the beginning, not so much this time around. There's still a few patches here and there, but that has more to do with not having good equipment or skills back when I recorded it and less to do with my current skills in cleaning up audio. Um, But where I could clean up, I did. And where I couldn't, you'll hear it. What are you going to do? It is a bit of a longer episode. It's about an hour and a half. And that is because back in those days, I didn't know that people didn't listen to episodes beyond 45 minutes (laughs) on average. So I kept it going. I do ask that you do try to stick it out, though, because it's a really dope episode and oddly topical, even though it was a year and a half ago that we recorded it. Um, the same shit is happening. So it's uh, it's still relevant. But I wanted to thank Marie for giving me the opportunity to do stand up for the first time. And Moral Support was the perfect show to try stand up for the first time. The audience is hella supportive. They already there with that mindset. The comedians that participate are all supportive because they're already there with the mindset. And Marie herself is one of the most supportive people that I've encountered since starting Militantly Mixed. And I just adore her. And I, you know, I just, yeah, I just fucking adore Marie. So if you're not already following her on social media, go to Twitter and Instagram and follow her at Depressed Auntie with a Y. I will put a link to her social media in the show notes. And um, next time that Moral Support rolls around at the Ruby Theater, if you're in the Los Angeles area, please go to it. It's a dope show. I've gone to many of the the shows. Such a dope show. And I really appreciate Marie, the comedians and the audience. It's great. And you should go see it. The Ruby Theater is moving locations, though. It's currently in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard, but is going to be moving to downtown. I don't quite know where yet, but when I have those details, I will share them. And in the meantime, we will just support Marie by listening to episode 69 of Militantly Mixed. Uh, Before I wrap up, though, just a reminder that I will be at the Geek Girl Con in Seattle, Washington, November 16th and 17th. I have been invited as a member of the press because of my podcast, Blurred Comics. 
I am so excited to be finally acknowledged as like a professional geek out in these podcasts and streets. And so I'll be up there in Seattle. November 16th and 17th. If you are in the area and you're a listener, holla at your main and let's see if we can connect. And of course, even better, if you're going to be at Geek Girl Con, let's try to find each other and have lunch or, you know, scream at each other's faces that we're excited to meet each other in real life or something like that, because that would be dope. And finally, we did hit the October goal for Patreon sponsorship. We got to 301 by October 31st, which is dope. And November's goal is $400 by the end of the month. We, like I said, we're already at 301, so we only got 99 more dollars to go. If you have been considering sponsoring this show, you can go to patreon.com slash militantly mix sponsor as low as a dollar a month to as high as anything you wish you can even select your own or enter your own dollar amount and you'll just receive the rewards that are underneath that dollar amount level the support goes a really long way it's helping me keep this show going it's helping me pay for all of the equipment and the software and everything that goes into producing the show but It's also going to help grow the show. I'll be able to promote it so it's a bit broader. I will be able to seek out opportunities for speaking engagements to speak on the subject of mixed raceness. And eventually, who knows what we can do with Militantly Mixed. With your support, all of these things will become possible. And I'm so appreciative of the supporters that we currently have. If you would like to sponsor the show, but you don't want to commit to a monthly sponsorship, that's cool too. You can go to paypal.me slash Militantly Mixed and drop some coins in the tip jar for us there. All the money goes to the same place all goes to support the show. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up since it is going to be a longer episode. I'll jibber jabber next week, probably. And of course, follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Militantly Mixed. And if you would like to be invited to the private Facebook group for Militantly Mixed, the discussion group connected to the pod that is private to only listeners, there's a couple questions you have to answer to be a member of the group. But Go to facebook.com slash militantly mix and scroll through until you see the link to the private group. Click on that, answer the questions, and I will and I will um, add you to that private group to talk about mixed things with other mixed people. I think that's it. I'll be back next week with a regular episode. In the meantime, don't forget to be your mixed ass selves. Today, I am joined by Marie Wachke, a wonderful woman that I met in a sketch class recently, and we bonded pretty quickly over both being mixed race. Um, there are a few people of color in our group, but we are, I guess, I don't know, I would say we are the the mixed ones, the hybrids, if uh, based <laughs> off of how people describe us. And we race comes up a lot in our little group. Uh, thank you for joining me, Marie. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Uh, why don't you give us a little introduction as to who you are and what your ethnic background is, and then let's get into it. Okay. Uh, my name is Marie Wachke. As Charmaine already said, um, I am a comedian, a writer, actor-ish. And um, yeah, we met in that sketch class, which is really great. My focus is really like comedy since I'm a comedian. Uh, my ethnic background is my mom's Filipino, like straight up. And my dad is just a white dude from the Midwest. Um, and they met 
pretty stereotypically like he was in the military he was based in the philippines he met my mom fell in love and rushed into a marriage Hmm. um and you know they moved to the united states they had me and my sister um and then my dad got out of the military and uh he he pretty much got out like without you know staying in for the full 20 so there's no benefits afterwards which really like tripped my mom out because she was like I did not sign up for this like mm. I signed up for for a military man and you know the <laughs> the security the financial security and all that ish it was definitely like a situation where my mom was not expecting to work anymore Mm. And then she was thrown into a situation where she became pretty much like the sole breadwinner and she really had to work like 10 times harder. So um, financial strains definitely like brought about the fact that like they don't really have anything in common. Like they're from completely opposite sides of the world, literally, not just like, you know, economically like white people in movies say, Mm -hmm. but like they're literally from completely different cultures. They have completely different values. Um, Both of them are very like headstrong. My dad like doesn't recognize his racism. Mm -hmm. And so that was definitely like a point of contention. Like he wouldn't accept her things. And then like my mom doesn't speak English that great. It's her second language. And so there was a lot of like miscommunication and frustration. Mm. Um, and then I have a younger sister and she's also in the military now, which is it's, you know, I and I it's funny because I'm very like uh, leftist and uh, <laughs> anti-military, anti, you know, um, establishment, really. Right. And uh, she's very much like in the military. And the only thing that I can say is like, I'm happy that she feels good about herself and that she's able to take care of herself and her baby Mm. and that that's it so but other than that it's like i'm not very i'm not supportive of the i'm not supportive of like the troops but i'm supportive of like one soldier like right independently yeah um so yeah that's actually kind of an interesting thing when we when we sort of talk about our feelings about stuff like that my family is also a military-based family it's the reason why i'm as mixed as i am also um, <laughs> yeah m- my two american grandfathers were gis and were stationed abroad during uh the korean war so my caucasian grandfather was stationed in japan during the korean war my black grandfather for some reason was stationed in england around the same time i have no idea why um but he met and married a white woman there and my caucasian grandfather married the japanese woman in japan and so without the military i would not be as mixed as i am and we've maintained (laughs) being a military family for a long time And yet I have this conflict of like, I understand that the military is sort of a requirement of a, of a country in terms of protection. But what I'm not cool with is that it's mostly our 17 through 24 year old people of color and poor kids that are being sent to these war zone places. So I, I I have some feelings (laughs) uh, too about the military. Well, you know, like there's areas in which I understand it and there's areas in which uh reform and correcting problems i mean i think i just saw something earlier today about a a a gay man that is being convicted um and sentenced to death just because the jury decided that he would enjoy being in prison uh for the rest of his life because he was gay (laughs) that's Uh, insane yeah so there's some there's some definite issues with with how i feel about that as well while at the same time never not acknowledging that without it i wouldn't be 
Charmaine, I guess. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's definitely like one of like one of the things I've lived. I'm like still grappling with is like you know how like and my dad brought it up before too because you know he's pre- pretty conservative and pretty pro military because like he was in the military, his dad was in the military, and um you know, now my sister's in the military and, um, he would, I remember I had a project in high school where we had to debate whether the U S should colonize the Philippines. And unfortunately I was oh, on the shit. side of, yeah, I was on the side of pro U S and my teacher, cause we like just picked sides out of a hat. Oh no! And at the time, and yeah, and it's crazy. Cause at the time I was really conservative. And so when my teacher was like, Oh, well you, she was like, you don't have to, you know, debate the pro U.S. side if you don't want to. And I was like, well, why wouldn't I? And then so, you know, but like researching it, I was like, I, you know, it was like probably one of the first times where I had a crisis of conscience because I was Mm. like, wow, they're really like saying that these people can't help themselves, you know, and like all this stuff. And, you know, I would go to my dad for help with school assignments and he was very much like, well, you know, if this had never, if the U.S. had never colonized the Philippines, you wouldn't exist. So maybe use that as like the reason why you defend it. And I was, and at the time I was like, yeah, that, okay, cool. But now I'm like, so what? Like if right. I didn't exist, then millions of people wouldn't have gone through horrible torture and pain. Like, yeah. am I really so like, am I really so important that I would need that I should defend this moment in history that caused so much pain and destruction right. that I should be alive? Like it doesn't, it's like, I'm not happy that happened, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> I get like that, too, because I'm the product of teen parents and I am one of those people who are just like, we don't need to teach abstinence in school. We need to teach safe sex practices and we need to teach that abortion is okay if you are not prepared to be a parent, you know, not to be using it as birth control, but to be circumstances in which it makes sense. And when I try to argue for that and the people like, well, if abortion like abortion was just barely legal around the time that I was being born. And so. You know, there's still a lot of the I mean, we still have some issues about it now, but then people would say, well, if your mom had an abortion when she was 14, you wouldn't be here. And I was like, yeah, Yeah. but also I wouldn't know I wasn't here. Exactly. Exactly. And I wouldn't have had to suffer the problems of having teen (laughs) parents and an abusive dad and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And yet all the while. Sure. I'm glad I'm here. But what's what's the cost? Why is my life worth, you know, some of that insanity? (laughs) Exactly. And, And also it's like, okay, well, what if your parents, you know, didn't have you then and then they waited and then they had you at a better time for them financially, you know, emotionally, whatever, like, oh, great. You know, like, it's like, oh, I could have been born as I was. Or Mm -hmm. if we're going to talk hypotheticals, I could have been born in a happy home. Right. You know, like why it's 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 all hypothetical. So it doesn't mean anything. Like, yeah, it really doesn't. And that was my dad said the same thing to him, to me when we were fighting about abortion. And uh, he was like, well, you wouldn't exist. And I was like, and I, I didn't go this deep into it. But I was like, yeah, I wouldn't know that I didn't exist. So it wouldn't matter. But also I'm like, I'm I have depression and I'm suicidal. So like I want to die every day anyway. Like mm. just <laughs> like you would have taken that out of the whole thing like yeah and it's also like trying to get like if I was trying to turn it on him it's like okay if my mom had an abortion for me and my sister you would have been able to divorce my mom and then you would have been happy for 20 years instead of Mm. sad for 20 years so Mm. like I don't know who you're trying to convince this was a good idea 
Right. So this is something that we we bonded over pretty early on when uh, when we met was the discussion of the the your father in particular and I mean I think both of us sort of have issues where our fathers are concerned um for different reasons but mm-hmm. the the insensitivity that he seemed to exhibit based off of one coming from a place of privilege all the time when he talks to you and not being yeah. able to um I don't know if it's empathy or what but not being able to put himself into understanding that he has mixed race children and that these children navigate a world that's a lot different than the way he or they navigate the world in a way that is a lot different than the way he navigates the world. Um, and then a little bit too, just the, in terms of like your father basically does say things that are like, I am the colonizer type, <laughs> type, <laughs> yeah, type yeah. thing. So like that is, uh, I think we both have talked about how much of a conflict it is to to be like proud of who we are, proud of being mixed race people, enjoy that we have this uniqueness that, um, you know, a lot of the population doesn't have. But at the same time, having sort of internal issues and struggles with the fact that we are partially colonizer. But since we do not benefit from uh, the privilege that white people get because we look like others and quotation fingers, uh, we we can't really get on their side. We can't really figure this out. <laughs> like yeah. We don't know how to navigate that way. And so that's one of the things we early talked about. Why don't we get into that a little bit about your, your feelings about having the colonizer's blood and not the colonizer's privilege. It's, I, I, uh, I have a lot of feelings. I'm still trying to sort out my feelings. Like it's probably going to be like a lifelong process, mm-hmm. I assume right. to like try to sort these feelings out. Um, but yeah, like, so when I was younger, it was very much like I was on my dad's side because I couldn't really understand my mom. And now like thinking back, it's like my dad never, he never really allowed me and my sister to connect with with our mother like we never learned Tagalog um he like um you know would make fun of her for not speaking English and then you know if my mom would try to teach us some Tagalog words when I would remember things like you know uh she would you know say like oh you know how you say father in Tagalog is Tatang so me and my sister trying to be cute and uh, embrace our heritage would try to call our dad that and my dad's like you don't call me that I'm your father you call me like we we speak basically we speak English in this household or you speak English to me and that kind of just like you know took the the air out of um, us trying to you know talk with our mom yeah and so uh, and um, it's it, you know there's been a lot of like recent um, realizations that a lot of the things my dad was was emotional manipulation and gaslighting and um, basically making him always look like oh look I'm the good guy you can understand what I'm trying to say I'm not yelling at you you know I'm I'm being the rational person and your mother's just being a crazy Filipino and um, which is like really painful to think about. But um, right. And so now I'm, you know, I'm trying to be more like, you know, I've accepted. I'm like, I'm a Filipino woman, you know, um, you know, I'm 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 not white. You know, the first time I realized that um, the first time I was being racially profiled and then I realized I was being racially profiled in that mm-hmm. instance was I was in college and it was funny because nobody nobody ever clocks me as Filipino. They always clock they always think I'm like Latina. Like right. they're all they they're always like, oh you're Mexican. And I'm like, no, wrong like same colonizer, wrong country. <laughs> like it's <laughs> I understand your confusion. Um 
and it also doesn't help that like my parent, you know, my mom's family, all their names are Spanish. You know, my mom's name is Maribel Mariano. Like that doesn't sound Asian to people. Right. And, um, so what happened was, you know, they have like those voter, like people trying to get you to sign petitions at like college campuses. And I was with my friend who's actually Mm -hmm. Latina and we were just sitting down talking and this guy comes up to us and he definitely has like some kind of, um, he, he doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of like social skills when he comes up to us and so he's like hey do you guys what are you registered in Orange County do you want to sign this petition and we just do it just to get him to leave and um while he's talking to us he's like oh so you guys live in uh Santa Ana which is predominant like I I lived in Fullerton at the time and Mm. Santa Ana is a predominantly Latina population okay and um so he's like oh so you guys live in Santa Ana not asking but just like saying you guys live there Right. And we're, we look at each other and then we look at him and we're like, no. And then he says, oh, so you guys live in Anaheim, which is like the next predominantly <laughs> Latino population. And we're just like, no. And then he's like, so where do you guys live then? Like, that's it. That's the only two places we could have lived You're right. in this whole county was Santa Ana or Anaheim. And we both look at him and we're like, Fullerton. And he was like, you guys, you mean here? And we're like, yes, we live here. We go this to school here. location that we're in right now. <laughs> exactly. Like, we're literally sta- standing here. Like, what? And then he was like, oh, okay. And he left. And I was just like, you know, it wasn't particular. It wasn't violent. It, w- I mean, it is violent because it was racist. But, but, you know, it wasn't like physically violent. I wasn't in any like physical danger. Right. But I was and just so angry. We're only just now starting to get used to the term microaggression and, and sort of the fallout from those types of ideas to, you know, being able to accept those microaggressions as violent or aggressive to a degree, even even as they sound passive or, or you know, there's no physical harm to you. The emotional harm, the impact to our mental health is, is a big deal. We all suffer re- weathering from the constant otherness 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 and feeling less than human in the eyes yeah. of, of the of the privileged and things like that so yeah i mean you definitely are within your rights to have had that feeling even though we may not have had the language to explain what it was that just happened to us in those times yeah and and so historically you know i always went to my dad whenever i had a problem because we would really like dive deep and talk about my emotions and our feelings mm. and he would really validate me But that was when, you know, when I was younger and when I thought I was white and like, you know, um, uh, and it wasn't that I thought I was white, but it was like, you know, oh, my mom's Filipino, that, that type of thing. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, separating myself from who my parent that is designated as other. And, um, so you know, at this point in time, I'm in college, I'm starting to accept that, you know, I'm a woman, I'm a Filipino, I'm a feminist, I'm actually a feminist, I'm actually pretty leftist, like I'm not any of those things that I was in high school anymore. And, you know, I'm upset about what had just happened. I call my dad because he's the person that I would always go to. And he immediately doesn't get it. And I have to explain to him like five times what had happened to me. And he's like, Oh, well, I don't understand. Maybe he just really thought you were and I was like, Yeah, but you know why he thought I was? was because I look a certain way. That's why he thought that I lived there. He didn't ask. He just said, I live there. And then he asked when I exhausted all of his racist options. Like, 
And then my dad was like, oh, well, I don't think he meant that. And I was like, no, you were not there. Like, I just yeah. cut him off. I was like, you were not there. I know what he meant. Yeah. I know the ge- I know the politics of this location. I know the geographies of this location. Like, I know what he meant by that. And just maneuvering and, the world as a woman of color. Yeah. You are in more of a position to understand these things that are happening to you than a person who never has to have this experience. Exactly. And so I, you know, I, and my dad's like, oh, okay. You know, and he kind of backs down when I get mad at him. And then I just start crying. And I was like, he, you know, I was like, he, he said those things to me because he thought I was different. And so he was trying to make me feel different. Right. And then all my dad could say, which I feel is like something like any white parent might say, because that that's just what they say to their kids. And it make it it's true is, you know, he was like, you're not different. <laughs> and I just like yelled at him. And I was like, but I am I am different. Right. And, you know, and and that shouldn't have been a reason for him to say those things to me. Like I am different, but I'm here. I belong. I go to school there. I belong there. Right. I'm not supposed to, you know, I'm not some I shouldn't be somewhere else. And he just, my dad just did not understand. And he just kept trying to be like, you're not different. You know, you're, you're a great girl and you belong there. And I was like, okay, I don't need you to tell me this. And I just kind of like, hung up. <laughs> I just like kind of hung up and I was just like, and that was really like the first rift between us. And I was mm. like, wow, this is like, this is, unless he changes, this is not going to work out. Right. That's, a, that's another, he has yet to change. So, yeah. That's another interesting thing that I think that we experience um, as people of color, but I think uh, probably uniquely as mixed race people is that white people or people that deal with sort of fair skin privilege will uh, occasionally say to us things that sound like allyship. Oh, I don't see you as different. I just see you as you or I see you as human or whatever the things. And it sounds nice. But when you really break down what they're saying is, I am choosing to identify you as closely to me as possible so that I can feel like I'm comfortable with your, you know, I don't have to acknowledge your difference. And therefore, I'm not really acknowledging you as a person or as an individual. And, um, and this is just my comfort zone. This is where I'm going to sit. Exactly. And we, we sit there and go, Oh, you know, that's nice. And then we say it again. So we're, you know, we're like inadvertently complicit in our own, in the prejudices that are uh, cast on us. You know, we don't realize that we're actually participating in it when we should be standing up in those moments and go, no, I I want you to acknowledge my difference or my uniqueness, not because I want you to other me, but because Mm -hmm. I want you to understand that I exist in the same space as you and you are not more entitled to this space than I am. Exactly. Um, and exactly. I, that took years. And, and honestly, I'm really only kind of forming that, uh, that opinion or that position kind of now when I'm finally starting to get it. I'm like, oh, you know, I went through a phase. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit older than you. So I went through the stuff where like I had my identity crisis and then I felt like I knew who I was and then something happened and it threw me in my identity crisis again. And yeah. <laughs> I knew who I was. And, and, uh, you know, at 40 years old, I feel like I know who I am. And yet there's still times in which I need validation in different ways that will kind of not throw me into an identity crisis, but throw me into the I need you to see me crisis part. You yeah. know, I need you to see me part of my identity crisis. And here's the thing. I'm black. I'm Japanese. I'm white. 
I will never be seen as white. It doesn't matter that I'm yeah. half white. <laughs> if, you, if you add all the whiteness up, it doesn't matter. I'm never going to maneuver a space in which someone is like, hey, white girl, hey. You know, that's not going to happen yeah. <laughs> to me. And, and while I do benefit from certain privileges, I don't want to. I wish I didn't because I want to, in the most positive sense of the word, I want to make white people uncomfortable because yeah. <laughs> I want them to be unsettled in their entitlement. I don't want them to feel that they own a space more than I do, more than you do, more than a dark-skinned person does, mm -hmm. uh, more than a handicapped person or, you know, a differently abled person, more than a, than a LGBT, you know, like yeah. all of the things that make a cisgendered, privileged Caucasian feel safe. I want them to always feel a positive version of unsettled. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just want to like, I think it's just a matter of like, we need, you know, I want to challenge them. Mm -hmm. Like it's, and it's, it's especially difficult with people who think that they've already been challenged and that they've, they've passed it. Yeah. Like, so I know people who, you know, my, my dad is the king of, you know, but you know, I have a brown wife. I can't be racist. I have a black friend that I haven't talked to in 20 years. I can't be <laughs> racist. Like, right. It's, um, you know, I have brown daughters. I can't be racist. And it's like, well, the fact that you say you have brown daughters is like, that's already a problem. Like, yeah. And also it's like, my dad used to do this thing. He, he even did this thing like within the past year when I last visited him where, you know, I would be like, I was just saying something and I was like, yeah, cause I'm Asian American or cause I'm Filipino American. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Marie, you're just American. And I was like, no, I'm also Asian American. Yeah. Like I like, yeah, but I'm Asian American. I can also be classified as Asian. Like I can be different things. And then he was just like, oh, I'm, and I was like, and I said, why do you do that? Like when he was like, you're just American. I was like, why do you do that? And he was like, do what? And I was like, why do you always try to take away the fact that I'm Filipino? Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm not. And I was like, yeah, but you get mad when I say I'm Filipino American. And he's like, well, I just think that, you know, like we're all American, so we should all just be American. Like we don't have to segregate ourselves. And I was like, I'm not segregating myself. Other people have already done that for me. And I'm just yeah. class. I'm just embracing that I am also Filipino. Like I'm yeah. like, I can be both. And he's like, well, no one's saying you're not Filipino. And I was like, you just like, said I you wasn't. Just did. Like yeah. <laughs> you just said I wasn't and that I'm just American. And yeah. And it's just like, what are you like? It, it It's weird. Like the just like the circular arguments and like the just it, it's like, why can't you just say sorry? Like, just say sorry. I didn't realize what I was doing was racist. Right. Like, that's all you have to say. And it's like, OK, girl, like, it's fine. Yeah. Like everybody has. And I'm like, we are raised in america we're gonna have mm -hmm. racism you know even outside of america like everybody has their own every culture has their own prejudices and mm -hmm. racism racism and it's like it's just you're constantly trying to educate yourself and be better and it's okay to be like shit sorry i was racist like yeah. that's another thing is like when i was really when i was really young um i you know i used to say racial slurs all the time because i thought it was funny and mm -hmm. you know we were in this weird little like weird little poor town in kern county which is very republican and conservative mm -hmm. And it had and a bunch the of Latin people there, Latino people there are very kind of anti 
other Latino. Yeah, exactly. Like, so that in my school was because we're all poor. It was a lot of different um, races altogether, Mm -hmm. like a group together. And then because we're in this conservative environment with conservative teachers and all this stuff, like we would just call each other racial slurs all the time. Mm. And we're like, well, we're all if we're all racist, jokingly towards each other, then it's not racist, which is a very like juvenile thing. Right. And obviously we did not have any adults that were woke enough to tell us no. Like, so we were just all swimming in this weird pool and only until like, you know, I got out of there and I was educated by some wonderfully patient women of color, like so Mm. too patient, (laughs) Um, Mm -mm -mm. you know, was I able to, you know, break that. But I think even like people of like my friends that are people of color, they get kind of uncomfortable when I say like, yeah, until like five years ago, I used to say the N word and I feel really bad about it, but I don't do it anymore because it's wrong. Mm. And I think people get uncomfortable about that, but I definitely am like, I like, I was, I've deprogrammed myself. Yeah, I've deprogrammed myself. It's possible. Like you can do that. And the only way I was able to do that was because someone was patient with me, but Mm -hmm. I'm not making, I'm not going to tell anyone that they have to be patient with racists or people that way. Right. Right. Because another part of it was some people weren't patient with me. Mm -hmm. And that's how I learned too, is like the you know, the people that were patient with me, I was able to talk a little longer. I was able to say things a little longer around them. But Mm -hmm. the people that weren't patient with me, I shut the fuck up real quick. And I learned. So I I don't know, I think it's like, you know, but it's also like, I can't, if you're like a racist, and you want to learn to not be racist anymore, don't take the people that are patient with you for granted. Cause that shit runs out. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it eventually, it eventually would. That that's an interesting thing about sort of deciding when, when to, I don't want to use the word give up, but for, let's just say for lack of a better term, give mm-hmm. up on people who aren't getting it. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, just like you, the Caucasian members of my family, uh, my my British grandmother, Caucasian British grandmother, she collected um, gollywogs and other black memorabilia, Jim Jim Crow era memorabilia. And it would be in our in her kitchens like she would have the sort of like the mammy cookie jar that had like a Mm -hmm. like a black tar black face with the red yeah. and white polka dot dress and the head wrap and everything or the gollywog dolls that were just kind of uh, either sewed or crocheted or whatever around the house and I remember uh, thinking that they were strange not understanding if they were good or bad but but definitely picking up even at a young age that it was strange that it was my white nana that had yeah. these things um, <laughs> yeah. because by that point my grandparents had been split up and so my you know the only time we saw my black grandfather was usually separate from her um, mm-hmm. so it was this weird thing of like, you know, she collected these black figures, not only just in her household, like with her, her, you know, tchotchkes and stuff like that, but like literally collected black people in that she had yeah. six kids that were mixed race and, you know, darker skinned than they weren't ever going to pass as white and, and barely in some cases passes biracial because some of them were darker than others. Yeah. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, is this, I mean, as an adult, I'm thinking, does she feel allied in some way because she has black kids? that this is an okay thing um, because mm-hmm. a lot of her answers when I finally did get old enough to understand it was strange and asked her about it is one of the few conversations I remember having with her about anything uh, that would be construed as adult and uh, I asked her why she had these things and then didn't she understand them to be racist and she says I couldn't possibly be racist I've got black kids so just oh, like God. you know just yeah. like your, your father <laughs> and you sit there and you think no because you say things about
about black people from time to time, you know, like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) it doesn't matter that you had black children doesn't matter that you it's not a pass to be able to be and do things as racist as you want. Just because you have this thing, this is not a trump card to get out of racism. Um, And, you know, I was too young, even though I was getting mature enough to understand that there was an issue here. I was still too young to be able to really voice what it was that was wrong with this thing. And, and I, I, you know, even at 40, I'm not sure that I 100% still have a way to explain it. I just know that (laughs) in the pit of my stomach, when I think about these things, or when I see these things, I, I am reminded of a, like, I'm, I'm reminded in my genetics, like I wasn't around (laughs) at a time when the, when Jim Crow was very active or when all this stuff was going. And yet I hear it and I feel this like physical pain from, from these horrible things. And when somebody dismisses it as, well, I can't possibly be racist because, or blah, 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 blah. It's far more stressful to me in my experience of racism than an outright in front of your face, Confederate flag waving, get out of my country, racist. Like, yeah, I will take, I will take in your face, you know, aggressive to a degree racism with a lot more uh, resiliency than, than that subtle racist, because that one that kind of chips you down breaks you down, you don't even realize you're losing your defenses. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And you're not arming yourself properly to deal with it. And in some cases, you convince yourself that they're they're allied, but but troubled in a way and you just need a little Mm -hmm. bit of work. But at what point does that little bit of work decide to be, you know, you're kind of a lost cause. I don't think I have anything left for you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. It's not not our job to educate them, although we are the ones that are told to educate and more so than people of color that are monoracial. Mixed race Mm -hmm. people have this insane uh, expectation placed on them that it is our job to end racism as we become more of a mixed race society. (laughs) we are going to like once we're all mixed in 50 years racism will no longer exist well you know what you're still a fino filipino white woman i'm still a black and japanese white woman we could decide that even though we're both mixed i'm not cool with your thing and you're not cool with my thing it's not Mm -hmm. going to undo exactly exactly yeah um and even to expect that is uh, insane i don't know why anybody would think that like it's just a pass like i'm simply not going to have any kind of you know even as open-minded and as old aware of as I am, the likelihood that something out there is going to initially put me on guard. (laughs) It's, you know, it's still there. Uh, And it's really, it's a real point of frustration for me because I don't know how to explain that to people and at the same time, let them know it is not my job to educate them. It is their job to educate themselves. Um, It's this mixed, it's this mixed bag of a feeling of like, I need you to know this stuff. I need to stop being the one to tell you all the time. Yeah. Because I don't get paid for it. I got other things to do. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like I, I just can't uh, I just can't be responsible for this. And it and it's it's really frustrating. And I know, you know, you and I have talked about this before too, of just oh, well, you and I are in kind of a strange situation, right? We're in this group, um, you know, we're in class, half of our group is Caucasian, our teacher is Caucasian. The, this is a feminist minded organization that we're taking this class at and everything about it, the allyship, the openness is great. Mm-hmm. But for me, I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, there are times in which I feel like the over over attempt 
to ally is very much a presence there. And I don't know if that's if that's rolled into kind of white guilt or or just like I know how bad it is out there. So I'm going to I'm going to really cheerlead for you so that you really know you have a support group here. And it's this weird version of I appreciate it. And at the same time, I'm concerned by how much effort you're putting in. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you kind of know what I'm what I'm talking about with our group? I, Uh, I feel you. Yeah, I feel you on that. I I think for certain people in the group, I'm definitely wary. I definitely feel like it's kind of like a, they're, they're, you know, I feel like it's, they're trying to, um, they realize that this is a time in, in our society where, uh, there, I mean, it's not really, but they think it's a time in society where being white is like not marketable. It's not good. And so they're, I think they're treading lightly and they're trying to show over allyship as a form of like survival for them. Mm-hmm. as you know them trying to be like look I'm one of the good ones um, but I feel like there are definitely people within the group that really do mean it as encouraging yeah. and it's just I like so. I think I think for it, it just took a while for me to understand who was who because at first I think I'm always suspicious I'm always like and I think that's just like a survival tactic for us yeah. is to just be suspicious and be skeptical and mm-hmm. it's like okay I'm taking this I'm understanding this but I'm also aware that you know there might be like you know, I might hear a crack in the bushes and it's like, what is that? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you have to be on your guard. Um, and so I definitely think there are people that are trying to encourage us. And I think, uh, so you weren't here for this. You, you and everybody else kind of went to Chipotle and mm-hmm. I was just sitting with our teacher for a bit and I kind of divulged, like I kind of just like had a therapy session with her and I divulged to her, like, um, why I had, basically quit comedy or stopped doing comedy for like a long year, like a couple years mm-hmm. was because um, it was because like uh, a man basically like verbally attacked me in front of everyone in our small scene mm-hmm. and like on the mic on stage oh, wow. and um, no one in the room came to my defense and I thought they were all my friends. And Did they think it, this was like in an improv scenario and it was just a no, sketch that went too far? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. This was, this was somebody doing stand up, and then I called him out on a really sexist joke and he just flipped out on me he flipped out on me and he you know he was saying all this shit and um it was all men in the room like none of the women in the scene were there that night because they Mm -hmm. all have jobs so sometimes they can't make it um (laughs) that was mean and but whatever um you know what i mean and um all these dudes like as soon as i was like i'm tired of hearing this sexist bullshit every night Right. The the other dudes who I thought were my friends booed me. They booed me, mm. and then that emboldened that emboldened the guy that was on stage to basically yell at me, "Fuck women, fuck feminism, <gasps> fuck you." And then all the guys were kind of like, "Dude, you need to stop. Like, you need to stop saying these things. That you went a little too far." But nobody actually did that, and so I left crying. I left with my friend, and um, they and then everybody told me afterwards it was my fault. The only people <gasps> that told me it wasn't they they were like, "Well, he he." They're like, "You know." he was wrong for sure but you shouldn't have heckled him while he was on stage that's not the rules of comedy Mm. and I was just so like and I did and you know I was young and naive and everyone was telling me to do it except for like two people and and of course those two people were women and Mm. um and so I did apologize to him and then he gave me a half-assed apology and then I just kind of like navigated under like okay we're good but I was like you know dying inside I felt you know wrecked and I didn't know what to do And on top of that, you know, he was a black man. And, you know, so he came at me with, well, I have to hear racist shit all the time. And I just listened to it. And I was like, why? Why why do you do that? Like, why do you let it happen? He's like, because that's how you're supposed to do. That's respect and comedy. And I was like, that's bullshit. 
And um, so I was just really wrecked from that. And I just didn't know where to go. And so I was like, kind of like telling, you know, our teacher about that. And um, I think she just maybe really after that was definitely like, okay, I really need to encourage people here that they need to stay in comedy. Like, yeah, that this is safe. They need to they they have they have a plate like this is a space where they can flourish. And they don't have to like go, you know, into these awful toxic places. Yeah. Um, And I I think she's been great about that. I think I don't remember if it was our second or third class where we basically did just have like a group. It was like an unintentional group (laughs) section where we just started talking. And that's when I kind of came out too, in a way of saying like, look, I'm going, I don't know why this is happening, but everything I'm writing so far is race related because, you know, our climate is informing this for me. I'm trying to process my pain through comedy in some kind of way. I'm trying to show the ridiculousness of racism through something somewhat comedic or hoping that Mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing. And uh, I felt I did feel a turn in our group after that, where it was yeah. just like, you know, we're, you know, this is not necessarily the time or at least not the space for the the dick and cum jokes type of thing that yeah. was kind of happening in <laughs> yeah. the beginning. And then it was shifting to like, you know, this is a conscious time. But mm-hmm. more than anything, the theater in particular that we are at is a feminist, inclusive, you know, racially inclusive, genderly inclusive, LGBT tea inclusive um you know like they're making some real efforts there and even though majority of the people sort of involved are um are caucasian women Mm -hmm. i think they you can see the efforts in a lot of different areas and at least i feel like we can see it in our class um so i felt that shift then when it was like okay and so far i know i'm making people uncomfortable with some of the things that i'm writing but i'm getting Mm -hmm. response and i'm getting uh input where I wasn't expecting, honestly, I wasn't expecting the white people to be able to do it, to be able to comment on it. And, and I'm glad that they, that they have been able to put their ideas in there and also kind of know their, I always hate saying this term, but I, I do kind of mean it like knowing, knowing their place, like just saying, yeah. Yeah. you know, I don't get this blah, 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 blah. And then give me that time where I can explain, well, this is why this is in there. Oh, okay. That makes more sense now. Um, But because I'm a white person with privilege, I didn't know that. So thank you for explaining that to me. You know, we Mm -hmm. have a little bit of that going on, which is great. Um, In the times when it's sort of overly enthusiastic, uh, that's when I get wary and I can't help it. It's our training, right? So they could be 100% fully allied on board, but they know know how to navigate that, that space of like being the allied, the properly allied person then yeah. we know how to accept or receive the properly allied person. We're always going to be like, yeah, you're you're allied now, but, and you're just waiting to figure out what the but is for each of those yeah. people. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're like, yeah. when is the, <laughs> when, when are you going to turn on me? When is this going to be a bad situation? Um, right. And I don't yeah. think we need to apologize for feeling this way. I do think we need to talk about this more often. And it's part of the reason why I want to do this podcast too, is that I want to open up these dialogues for because I need it. I assume Mm -hmm. other people need it. I don't know that I'm necessarily going to I I know for sure, actually, I'm not going to have the answers to 
most of the things. I might have some answers or a portion of, of an answer, <laughs> but I need to, I need to have these conversations because I need to, this is the part of the things that I need to learn how to process now. Like before what I was learning to process was how do I identify as a black Japanese mm-hmm. and Caucasian <laughs> person who has experienced, who like grew up in, you know, on the border of North Long Beach and Compton and feels very black and not only feels black, but feels very like pro black, hood black, militant mm-hmm. black, but look yellow, you know, look Asian, mm-hmm. look, yeah, look yeah. Latin. You know, I don't even blend into like, I, I can't even just pass as an Asian person or as a Mexican person, although people usually think I'm Mexican here in LA. Yeah. Um, or if they do think I'm Asian, they think I'm Filipino because everybody's decided that the Filipinos are the mixed Asians of the world. And therefore, yeah. if you don't look standardly Asian, you must be Filipino. Definitely. Um, and then uh, if I'm, I say this all the time, but if I'm on the East Coast, I'm Dominican or Puerto Rican. That seems to make more <laughs> yeah. sense to me because at least with the Dominicans or Puerto Ricans, the likelihood that there's some, you know, Afro-Latina-ness going on. I'm like, okay, I can see why you would, if you're going to go somewhere, I could see how you go there before you go to Filipino. Yeah. Um, because I do have black features, even though I don't have the skin cone. I, uh, I just feel like we need to, we need to talk about this and we need to be messy when we talk about it too. Like, yeah, we, we don't messy. have the answers. Yeah. We just need to kind of like, here's my feelings. Blech, it's all on the table now. Yeah. Now let's try to pick through this and figure out what, you know, what was going on, what's happening so that we can figure this out. And um, I like that we're doing this in a, in a way in which we're just talking. <laughs> And from yeah. it, it's like, oh, you had that? Well, guess what? I had this. Yeah. What are we doing now? <laughs> you know, like, let's try to figure yeah. this out. And it's not like a racial one-upping when when uh, when we're doing it. We're just like, oh, that happens to me, too. How mm-hmm. the fuck are we going to do with this? <laughs> yeah, what do we do? And it's like, did you figure it out? It's like, no. No. But, but yeah, me neither. Let's go to our um, secret mixed people meeting next week and hash <laughs> this one out. Um, Definitely. Oh, uh, yeah. when... So, you know, I thought... Uh, I know you talked about this a little bit before where you were just like, you know, like, you're like, Oh, you know, uh, you know, I found out my identity. Great. But then you're like, then there's another roadblock and you're like, well, what the fuck? And you have yeah. to like start that process all over again. I feel like I'm at that stage now. Like That's where when at. I was in college, I was like, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, I'm definitely like, I'm Filipino. I'm a Filipino woman. I'm a Brown woman. I'm a proud Brown queer woman, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, I was like solid in that. Mm-hmm. And then now, now I've, you know, been, but, but I've been solid in that because I, I realized because all the people I was interacting with already knew my background story. Like they already knew everything about me. So oh. it was easy for them to be like, yeah, you're Filipino. Why would I ever think of you as something else? Right. And, so you, you're, it's easier to maneuver so now, in those spaces with a clear identity because you, yeah, they know you. Exactly. And so now I'm realizing like, oh, I am mixed race. I am, you know, it's confusing for people. And I was really paranoid for like, like, um, you know, I would be going to these shows, not with my like, I would be going to shows by myself that was like primarily black or primarily POC. Mm-hmm. And I would be going by myself and I didn't have, you know, like my POC crew with me right. to like, basically show like, yeah, I belong here. I am brown. And Um, so I was going alone and, you know, my name's just Marie and people think I sound white or, you know, whatever. And, um, if they ask my last name, it's Wachki, which is not like that's German as fuck. And Mm -hmm. so I'm pretty sure I have no way of knowing, but I'm pretty sure I was being clocked as white by 
other POC and then they were feeling suspect towards me, which Mm. I totally understand. But that just gave me this huge amount of racial dysphoria. And I was like, what? Like, am I a white person? I don't think I'm a white person. Like, I know I'm half white, but I'm not fucking white. Like, that's not who I am. You're right. And, and so, you're, you're kind of like, just as I thought I figured out who I am. Now, exactly. Now this is happening. Yeah, exactly. And so... I still don't know how to feel about that. And also another thing too is it's like, yeah, like I don't get as much sun anymore. Like that's a real thing. Like some people <laughs> cringe when I say that, but I'm like, I'm not getting enough sun. Yeah. I'm like, if I, if this was me in high school when I was running cross country, bitch, nobody would think I was white. There was no yeah. way no I one would think I was white. same thing. And so, but I'm like, but I work a nine to five job. I'm depressed. So I just stay home all the time. Like I do not get vitamin D. And like, um, I don't get any like UV rays and, um, yeah. So like, it's, it's been like, it's just been really weird. It's been like tripping me out. But then I do know that like white people that I work with did not think I was white. Mm-hmm. So, um, cause I remember I like kind of came out as Filipino to people and um a couple people um one person came up to me and was like you know when you said oh i'm filipino by the way you know i was like you might when you said you know oh you might have thought i was latina you know they're like i just thought of you as a person and they yeah. thought they were being funny and cute and i was like are and in my head i'm like are filipinos not people like right like you know that's <laughs> like, all you're telling me is that i still think of you as an other i just don't want you to know that i think of exactly. you exactly an and it's like what are you yeah it's like are you literally saying that people of other races aren't people like what are you saying when you said that you thought I was a person like and not anything else and I just like and I would I asked somebody once because they were like oh I didn't know you were Filipino and I was like oh well what did you think I was and they just got like so uh nervous and they're like oh uh, uh, yeah they're like um I don't you know I just thought it and they said the same I just thought of you as a person and I was like I was like no I'm not mad I'm actually genuinely interested like as a mixed race person I want to know what people think of me like Mm. it's kind of like honestly i feel like it's like catching pokemon i'm like ooh, did you think i was this like i got guatemalan Uh. once i never got that before that was exciting like um but i mean that's just my way of coping with it but it's also like i kind of i'm like do i have to just like wear a picture of a like me and my mom together on my chest all the time for people to be like oh you're filipino like it's just it's really weird and i honestly feel like fuck rachel dolezal because i feel like now i can't trust thank you nobody i can't trust anyone and nobody can trust anyone else and so i feel like actual mixed race people are really like everybody's suspect now right so rachel dolezal is a whole thing for me and people keep telling me that i shouldn't be so upset about her and then they try to throw that that term transracial at me and it makes me flip the fuck out because here's what the definition of transracial is a person of one race or culture that is adopted by people of a different race and culture Mm -hmm. and then raised in that different race or culture with no connection to their original race and culture so Mm -hmm. like in the late 70s early 80s it was very popular for white families to go to korea korea in particular and they were Mm -hmm. adopting babies that were sort of the product of you know either like the military base if you want to call them prostitutes or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, just women that were trying to, you know, get by or whatever, or, or they were just, you know, in orphanages in general. And then they were bringing here and they're being raised basically as white kids. And so I actually know a woman that is, is this, she has her, her legal name or birth certificate name is still her Korean name, but she goes by a different name. Um, you know, like something that sounds more Americanized or white or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, she grew up in the South, raised amongst and by white people, 
she does have another brother who was also adopted from Korea, but from like a different village, different, you know, the whole, the whole thing. But mm-hmm. when you talk to her, she's like, I don't think of myself as not white until either someone points out that I'm Korean or I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh yeah. So she yeah. even almost has like, like has a vision of herself as a white girl and that mm-hmm. seeing herself in the mi- in the mirror can be very jarring yeah. because she's created some sort of identity, some sort of white identity based off of her upbringing. And so she doesn't get to feel like an Asian or she doesn't get to feel like she's part of the crew a lot of the times because she has such a different experience. Um, and she is what is transracial, a person mm-hmm. who just wants to be black. Like here, I got issues, you know, even as an LGBT person, I have issues with it because one, she's just a white woman who wants to be black and she's appropriating the culture. And two, by referring to her as transracial, you're saying that trans people are just people who are pretending and or want to be this other thing that they aren't. And so it completely like, it just completely ignores and erases what is happening for a trans person by grouping it in with this transracial thing. And I see it even on like, I'm on a group on Facebook that is uh, uh, like, you know, you're Japanese American if, and then it's just a bunch of people that post about, you know, Japanese or Japanese American things. And, you know, it's an inclusive group. So sometimes there's like white people who are married to, you know, Japanese people or something like that. And they'll talk about, well, like I'm more Japanese than my husband because I eat the food and I do this. And you're just like, you want to smack them down. But at the same time, you're like, you don't, you don't want to affect their allyship. You just want them to understand what they just did. And there's one in particular who I've seen her refer to herself as transracial. And I, um, or there's a couple. I remember one time I did say, oh, so you are a white person that was raised by Japanese people. And she's like, no, no, no. I just, you know, I'm really into the culture. I speak the language and I ended up marrying a Japanese person. I'm like, oh, so you're just a white person, not transracial then. And then I had to like link (laughs) the description and and, um, Rachel Dolezal coming out the way that she did not only is a bad thing for in terms of people's perception of transness, but a bad thing for people's perception of, you know, it's ignoring the cultural appropriation, the things she's doing. They're just like, well, just let her live her life. Meanwhile, if a black person tried to do this or an Asian person tried to live as white or, uh, you know, Latinx person tried to live as white, they would find ways of reminding them that they're not uh, white, but we're just supposed to accept Rachel. And And then she also makes hella money off of it. That's how you know she's right, right, is that she's making so much money off of this controversy instead of being dead, honestly. And and trying to sit there and like still use the, you know, use, be a drain on society. She tried, she applied for welfare. She did all this. She's making $88,000 at the time that she was on welfare and, and stuff like, you know, all based off of this, cultural appropriation that she's doing and then on top of it they're like oh now we have a new nickname for mixed people oh you're just a rachel dolezal no the fuck i'm not i am i I have a black parent a black and white mixed parent i have an asian and white mixed parent i grew up in black neighborhoods but i look yellow but i am still black it's no less black my identity in terms of my understanding of who i am ethnically and who i am like i don't what i don't know is who i am racially because i don't know how i'm perceived mm-hmm. by other people i don't know what people put on me what i do yeah. know is that my ethnicities are black japanese irish english german what i do know is that my cultures mm-hmm. are black and japanese what i don't know is if you look at my face what am i yeah 
I can't really be determined racially because I'm not, you know, a binary black or white person. I'm not a clearly distinctly. I show the features of Asians or I show the features of this. I my face is extremely mixed. I have almond shaped eyes. I have, you know, big, luscious lips like my dad did. I have straight hair on top and a semi froish hair at the bottom if I'm in humidity. Like I am a properly mixed up person, like not mixed, yeah. <laughs> mixed race person. Yeah. And, and I make a joke about not being stirred all the way so that it's not evenly <laughs> blended because that's how I that's have so the funny. flat straight hair at the top and the, and the, you know, like kind of puffier hair at the bottom <laughs> or, you know, the almond eyes and stuff. Yeah. And so like, gosh, I get so, I can go off on her and I've gone on a couple little uh, Twitter rants about her and I've had some people go like, well, she's just trying to be her and live her life. And you know what? I'm just trying to be me and live my life too. And what I'm not doing is profiting off the pain of a, a race or an ethnicity or a cultural group because I can get away with it. That's exactly. what I'm not doing. Exactly. <laughs> fucking hate this. One. And it's I'm like, like and it's also like how many like actual transracial people, actual mixed people, actual black people can profit off of their actual stories. Not a lot. Right. And then this white woman can pr- profit off of it because she's a white woman. Like I'm at a point, I think just because I'm so mad with society and the world and all these types of stories where I'm like, I don't think white women are oppressed. I don't, I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Like, and also it's like your oppression, like, I don't know. I don't, I try to be all girl power and whatever, but I'm like, your, your, your tears are so valuable. Your tears are weapons. weapons. Yeah. Yeah, Your tears are like the most powerful weapons in the world. They can get so many people killed and just, you know, like, and it's so, it's just like, like, uh, anytime anybody tries to mention Taylor Swift to me, I'm just like, uh, like that is the, uh, I, I, uh, it's just like she's um she's just like the epitome of white woman privilege and uh and the fact like she went on like the stage at the grammys or whatever and tried to talk about like woman empowerment you know right. and like how we need to hire women all of the producers behind her were men there were no women on her, her team the authors that won of the a Grammy lot of her her. work that she like the stuff that she doesn't write herself of the stuff that she doesn't write herself is all male Exactly. She's the only person on that stage that was a woman. And somebody Mm -hmm. tried to tell me like, well, you know, the record labels, they kind of dictate who she works with. And I was like, she's Taylor fucking Swift at this point. She's won so many Grammys. She has, she's making the millions of billions of dollars. Like she can dictate what she wants to do and who she wants to have on stuff, you know, like, and she doesn't. And that's what she does. And also she's been silent on so many political Mm -hmm. issues. Um, She's been so vocal about like, women's wages and blah blah white women's wages and white women this and that and then mm-hmm. anything that has to do with race she's silent anything yeah. that has to do with anything she's silent well, but i don't know i'm sorry i'm no i don't the, know that's I a point of woman, frustration but, in, our, yeah. in our in our um situation too because what what happens when you look at the list of otherness you see women and then you say mm-hmm. women of color. Okay. Yeah. Are we less women just because we are also of color? Exactly. Um, say white women. Like that's what I, I want to scream. I'm like, it's not a, like white is not a slur. It's just like ugh, white is not a slur and don't try to make it a slur. Because, But that's another thing. Yeah. You know what? Try to make it a slur because that's how you say black. That's how you say Asian. That's how you say Latino. Like you say it as a slur. And so that's yeah. why you're scared when you say white, when we say white people. I almost want to start whispering white in the way that white people whisper every other race, you know, without having a conversation, a perfectly fine conversation. Oh my just God, like, that's so, so funny. I, you know, I was at the, the store and I ran into this black woman 
And then da, yeah. da, 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 and you're just like, why did you whisper it? Because the fact exactly. that you whispered it tells me that you're racist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because you exactly. felt that saying it, something was wrong about saying it. And <sighs> oh it's not gosh. a racial slur. Yeah, it's not a racial slur. My favorite thing, um, I used to study film, or I guess I technically still do study film uh, at my school. And just the amount of like white professors who would say, this African-American director from England... And I'm like, was he ever from America? If he right. was ever never from America, then he's not African-American. Yeah. Then and he's then, just a black English director. Like, you, just say black. You can yeah. say black. You can like, say black. It, it's fine. And here's the thing is that so when I was growing up, black was the term and it was perfectly fine. And then I became a preteen kind of early teenager and the term African-American started to be popular. And mm. I would always say I'm not African-American. One, I don't have any direct connection to the continent. Not that I don't know that my people, like I'm ancestrally from, from the continent, but I don't know where on the continent I'm from. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not European American. I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm British. Like my, my grandmother is from England. I'm mm -hmm. Caucasian British on her side. I, I don't really know. Like we say that my great, my other grandfather was German Irish Appalachian kind of folk. It's sort of a blended area. So I don't really know in terms of, of what he is yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, you know, I'm not going to call myself Eastern European American or, uh, you know, a, a European American or anything like that. I'm black. I grew up black. I'm immersed in black culture. I'm black. Mm -hmm. I am doing the DNA test right now with an uncle of mine because the African test is a patrilineal or matrilineal. And since my father was black, uh, my uncle had to take the test for me because there's something to the white chromosome. And we will in a couple of weeks, we're going to find out from where from Africa our people come from. At that point, I, I will not be telling myself that, like, let's just say that it's Senegal. I'm not going to start calling myself Senegalese yeah. American or anything like that. I'm going yeah. to say... I'm still black, but now I know where my ancestral connection to Africa is. Yeah. What I do claim is Japanese American or um, or Caucasian British American. Why? Because I know those women. Those are the, my mm -hmm. grandmothers. I've met them. I've lived with them. They are. They have been in my life. You know, my my nana is no longer in my life. She's still around, but we haven't been family for a long time. My Japanese grandmother also still around, still in my life. I I know who they are. So I mm -hmm. feel that I can claim Japanese or, or Caucasian British just fine. But I can't claim Africa because one, I don't know where in Africa I'm from. Two, mm -hmm. I don't have that connection. It could be 400 years. It could be 150 years. I would, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. All I know is that our facial features don't look like anywhere I've ever met from Africa. Yeah. It's Skin tone, maybe facial features. No. Um, and when you can't when an American can't go to any other part of the world and see black people and describe them as anything but African-American, that like just shows me that you don't understand what it is that you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think there's a I don't remember what show it was. It might have been like the American office or something like that, where it's like whatever. What do you call Af your African-Americans here in Canada? Um, <laughs> you know, like whatever the yeah. line was, it was something yeah. like that. And it was just like, doesn't that question answer itself when you start to talk out loud? Like, don't you get? Yeah, what, exactly. What happened? You know, um, it, it's just a, it's, it's one of those things that is a little tangent that ends up being you know, it's like pulling a thread out of out of an uh, outfit. You're just like, you keep pulling, you keep pulling, you're eventually going to ruin the outfit. So it's not <laughs> exactly. that big of a deal if you just break it off right then. But when you start pulling at it, it really does bother you. Um, Definitely. That's, it, oh my just, gosh. 
um i uh, i kind of want to talk about really quickly just like like um being mixed race and asian being a mixed race asian person um Mm -hmm. especially like since we're like in the entertainment industry um it one thing that i've noticed that has just really like it's just made me insane is just like um how asian publications that are like you know for the empowerment of asian entertainers and like they're about asian representation they do not they do not claim mixed race Asian people until those mixed race Asian people are in a cast with other Asian, like full Asian people. And right. um, this is like, it's just something that's been like, it like infuriated me. And I was only really made aware of it because of Keanu Reeves and Karuchi Tran, just because like um, Keanu yeah. Reeves has been Asian obviously (laughs) like his whole life he's had a long ass career and i haven't i literally heard nothing from any of these publications about his career um until this new movie that's coming out where he's working with randall park and ali wong and um you know just a bunch of other asian Mm -hmm. producers writers actors in it and so then they're like and keanu reeves are other asian like you know it's an all asian cast and keanu reeves is there and he's asian and i was like kind of asian (laughs) and i was like bruh how come why have you not been talking about him his whole career and one of my friends was like well you know his career hasn't really been that active recently and I was like I don't care there has been nothing about him before then and I was also like you know I was like you know when Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure when that like anniversary came up I'm like all these white nerd publications were all about it and I was like why is there no Asians like reclaiming all of these films he was in as an Asian American narrative yep it's Asian American now it's Asian American now like why aren't we doing that and it's it's funny. He was very white passing throughout most of my life, like, you know, because he was big in the 80s and 90s when I was coming up. And he was always yeah. like, he was he was we knew he was Hawaiian and Asian and that he was he was mixed. But it was always like he could just blend in with the white folks. It was fine when he became yeah. a problem for me to figure out how to deal with him because he's an actor I really like. I, you know, even to this day, I still do um, love him. I, I love the jokes about him. I, you know, everything I absolutely fucking hated that he was cast in the in Ronin because it was one of the few <laughs> times that it was an all uh, all or almost all Japanese cast it's a yeah. Japanese story it's based off of yeah. real life it's not a fantasy so before I was even deciding if I was going to see this, I was mad that they made his character. Uh, I was mad that one, that they, he was cast in it and two, that they made his character mixed race, which is not the case in the real life tale. Mm, and um, yeah. and so I wasn't going to see it. I certainly wasn't going to see it in the movie theater because I did not want to put my dollars into it. So I think by the time I actually saw it, it was just like already on HBO. So, yeah, I mean, I paid for it, but I didn't directly pay for it. So I felt fine. Yeah. And then I see that they actually cast, you know, that the Chinese actress that uh, from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I can't think of her mm-hmm. name. She's also a mem- memoirs of a geisha. So she, she's kind of problematic for me because she's like, oh, she's Asian. Let's make her Japanese for every movie in America because she's the only Chinese woman mm, we're comfortable yeah. with. And then they put like, you know, magic and a dragon and shit like that in, in Ronin. And it's like, you don't have to, the story is fine on its own. It is compelling <laughs> on its own. Yeah. They, what the events yeah. that occurred yeah. during the 47 Ronin is huge. We didn't need the Chinese mystic and the half you know, ostracized mixed race person that that didn't need to play into the story. We could have actually just had another Japanese. And so he is kind of a a sore spot for me because now he is, they can do consider him mixed. They weren't really focused on that in the 80s. And that was because a lot of the Asian actors could pass. So yeah, so this is really like, I understand that it's a point of contention. It's a point of pain and uncomfortability about like mixed race people. 
and especially mm-hmm. like mixed race Asian people who are white. So that's what Keanu Reeves is like, you know, he's he's white passing because if you're Asian and white and if you're not like a darker Asian like Filipinos or right. Vietnamese people, like it's easier to pass as white. Mm-hmm. And so and especially like at, when he was, you know, when his career was growing up and he was like really starting to be famous, um, it was probably really detrimental for him to be like, I'm Asian. I want to do an Asian role, you know, like it's probably easier for him to pretend to be white. Yeah. Get the roles, which honestly, because reality. Yeah. I think honestly, too, because he was Canadian, that was more the focus. It was like he was the first of the Canadian actors that got here, got came to the States and got big. So I think they were more focused on that being what his deal was than him actually being a mixed Asian. Yeah. And so, but the, uh, another thing too, is with like Karuchi Tran, she, um, you know, she, she, she had all that stuff with all that drama with Chris Brown, which I don't expect um, the that I'm talking about to talk about because they don't really talk about gossip. They just kind of talk about like, who's in this movie? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she had that ColourPop um, crossover, like that ColourPop thing that was big. She had a few other roles. She was in Claws. Um, and she's the only time I ever heard anybody talk about her. And then they used her as the main name in their publication and be like, hey, look at this thing with Karuchi Tran was when she's she's in this movie about like it's like a coming of age movie about um, these Asian American girls and their Mm. friends. Mm. And that made me mad because I'm like, she's been around, you know, she's been doing things. And this is like a small one off movie she's doing with like, you know, uh, other Asian American creators, which is amazing and great and valid. But it's like, but you're literally don't talk about her until she's surrounded by, I guess, visibly Asian or obviously Mm. Asian. And that is that is my problem. And I think it's just it's also just me being upset and wondering where my future is going to be. Like, I talk so much about how I'm Asian. So maybe that one of the deciding factors but it's also just like i i've seen other people like olivia munn she's been in interviews talking about her asian mom all the time yeah and yet, and yet I she don't is considered white by fanboys exactly she's people just don't know and then that's another problem too is that like holly i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get mad at the actors necessarily but more at like casting directors and the production companies for you know like they have her as jubilee and it's like Mm -hmm. jubilee is not a mixed race asian person she doesn't even look white at all in the comics and yet they have olivia munn playing her because olivia munn played um, psylocke olivia munn oh she played psylocke yeah Oh, okay. I thought she played Jubilee. Um, no, she played Psylocke, but still Psylocke's Asian and like not, doesn't look like Olivia Munn in the comics. And you know what I mean? It's choose, it's, it, it's obviously intentional. Like let's choose a diluted for like, which is a terrible term, but a diluted Asian person to make it more palatable for white audiences. And then also, so nobody can get mad at us because right. we did use a technically Asian person. And so there's a, a lot of pain with that. And I understand it's a really rough subject, but I'm just like, we need to start claiming our people. We need to start claiming our people that are mixed race because one, I just want to be claimed. I want to be claimed right. by Asian people. I mean, representation and, matters across the board. And sometimes it's yeah. not just like, don't just represent me as whatever the other other is you decided for me. Represent me out there across the board. Barack Obama is not exactly. the first black president. He is the first African-American mixed race president. He's literally African. He is literally American and he is biracial. Let's call him what he actually is. I I was always frustrated with that kind of thing. It's like, oh yeah, we were never going to get a black president. We were going we we needed a mixed race person first. 
we're never going to get a fully formed, full-blooded Asian superhero or supervillain. They, well, no, we can get a supervillain. Uh, we can't get a superhero because yeah. that's too, yeah. it's too much. They, we, they need to be mixed with white to be palatable. Yeah, exactly. And so that's like a weird, like, like it, it's weird for me as, you know, like as a comedian and, and somebody who wants to be in the public eye and take on roles and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's also just like, it's painful. Like that's my, uh, you know, that's going to be my life. That's going to be my story at some point. And then it's just like how it's like, well, I know how locations are going to talk about me, but it's like, it's, I think it's also just painful to see like my community that I'm trying to get comfortable in that I'm trying to reclaim would not claim me until I was surrounded by other people of that community and given basically like the, you're Asian enough. Um, yeah. Go ahead. So and we didn't actually get into that very much. Like, how do you feel that you are received? We, we're pretty clear on how any of us are received by our half white sides. But how do you how have you felt you were received by other Filipino people coming up? Um, I think, well, so it, so when I was growing up, it was actually, I was actually received pretty well by my community because most of us were mixed race because we lived near a military base. So everybody had, you know, like right. American dad straight up from the Philippines, mom, re, you know, came in through the air force or the army or whatever, settled down here. And we're all, you know, mixed race babies. Like mm-hmm. there was probably like one family that was actually like full Filipino. And then, you know, but they all knew each other. Like we all knew each other all the aunties knew us like yeah you know all of us looked filipino and like filipinos are mixed of shit load anyways so we're like whatever like right. you're filipino if you're like like if you're like a 16th filipino you're filipino bitch like that's how it works so <laughs> I, you know i wasn't i never felt like i wasn't filipino around filipinos mm-hmm. um in my own hometown but like like sometimes there were a couple of times where like I would go out and if I would say like, oh, I'm Filipino, there were some like, you know, people who were definitely like, oh, cool, great. I kind of got that vibe from you. And it was mm. mostly like hoppas, other hoppas. Yeah. So I'd be like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, me too. And, and they're like, they're like, oh, my God, that's so great. And then we would connect on it. But there were definitely some people who looked more Filipino that would be like, really? I didn't even know. And I was mm. like, why do you have to do that? There was no reason for you to say that yeah like there's no reason for you to try to play this one up of like oh you i'm were, more filipino than you you were totally and invisible to me exactly and i also feel weird bringing it up sometimes because i'm like i don't know tagalog and um so i feel like some shame about that and then um but but for the most part i think actual filipinos has it's been a lot easier to navigate than like asian communities although mm-hmm. i have been like you know i've been i've been letting my anxiety and my fears run run my life so long mm. I've tried to stop doing that and I'm like okay I'm scared I'm going to be rejected by these people but let me just go anyway so I've been been going to some Asian events or Asian shows or whatever. And if I declare myself as Asian, people usually won't question it, That's you know? Yeah. Um, and they'll just kind of like, I, I haven't really been interrogated by people. Um, sometimes I can see in their face that they're not a hundred percent sure. And then <laughs> feel like I have to like lay it down for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Like, so I think that's been pretty, um, it's been pretty okay. It's just that I have a lot of anxiety about, um, about that mixed race thing. But I also think it's maybe, I think one, because I'm vocal about it, they appreciate that. Like, yeah, I feel like the community appreciates when you're vocal about it. It's when you have to hide it. And when you have to play, like when you, I think it's when you, um, align yourself with whiteness, that's when there's an issue. Yeah. Totally. So- which I totally understand. 
In terms of the comedy world, though, so actually Asian women comics are starting to get a bit of a popularity. I mean, for the longest time, Margaret Cho was the only one holding it down for, Mm -hmm. you know, all Asian comics. And now we do have Ali Wong. And uh, there's a few others that are maybe not names, but you're you're starting to see them at shows when I go. I go to, um, you know, the top three places here in L.A., Comedy Store, Laugh Factory and on the Improv a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's always, you know, there's luckily sometimes there are random, if not mixed white Asians, then, you know, another Asian person of some sort and you're starting to like okay now we're starting to see asian women as a possible uh, funny element like you know before that they were they you know they were just sexualized or they were just um yeah uh demure housemaid types but now we can actually see asian women as funny uh but we're still only kind of looking at asians uh i think american culture tends to only look at sort of the joke about the top three asian groups the japanese the chinese and the koreans and all other asians are kind of like uh well, we don't really know much about you guys, so we'll just go ahead and you're the other yeah. ones. It's fine. But in- I think um, I think South Asians are really like holding it down too, like with Mindy Kaling and um, a partner on Sherla, Aziz Ansari, you know, all of them, Kumail yeah. Nanjiani. Like, yeah. So like, I think they're doing that. But I think that's another thing too is like Amer- like white Americans and even like Asian Americans too forget about South Asians. Right. And so they're like, you know, so it's weird. Like, I feel like they forget about them until they do something big and then people are like oh yeah they're asian we're claiming them now too like yeah because before that they're arabs or they're middle easterns like right yeah (laughs) you know that's basically always the thing you hear like you you hear um uh not a parna she doesn't talk about this as much maybe a little bit but um definitely um um he he talks about this a lot of of having to be like no i'm not middle eastern no i'm not persian no i'm not you know, da 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 da. He's like, I happen to be Muslim, yes, but guess what? We come from all over the freaking world. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the so when you're navigating a comedy space, though, I think you mentioned before, like getting a chance where you got to bond with another. Uh, maybe Filipino com- comedian or sh- or she was mixed or something like that. And you're just like, oh, I get to see you a lot now. And we're going to always be on the same thing because every time they need Asian comedians, we're probably going to be on the same list. Do you feel that in comedy, as you're trying to find these spaces to, to perform, that you are tokenized or that you gravitate towards Ag- Asian comedian spaces or comedy spaces because it gives you uh, an audience with a context? Well, so now I really, it's interesting because I felt like in, when I first started, I started in Orange County and I felt like I wasn't necessarily tokenized because it was such a small scene. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, whoever was there. And, um, I think there was only one other, there were like one or two other Asian comics and they were both, um, men at, at the time. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was really the, the one thing that was, I didn't feel tokenized, but I did feel like people, like people came up to me and told me, oh, you know, you kind of talk about being Filipino a lot. And I just, and I just want to be like, oh, really? I talk yes, about so that a what? lot. Like, <laughs> like, okay. But literally I just watched 20 other comics talk about the pains of being a white man dating in LA, but no, nobody else is talking, but, but right. I'm the one who's talking a lot about the one thing that I have that's right. different than all of you. Right. Okay. Whatever. Like, so that would really made me upset um but I feel like now that I'm in LA like I'm really starting to get comfortable and I 
am, you know, actively looking for queer and Asian spaces because, so I guess I'm not really, I wouldn't say I'm tokenizing myself, but I'm trying to find my community because right. I feel comfortable. I don't, I don't feel comfortable anymore in like, uh, I guess, you know, like the open range white male toxic environment like I was really hurt in that environment and I don't feel comfortable anymore and I I feel like I'm like I know I'm good like I'm a real I'm a good funny person and I'm interesting I have an interesting story Mm -hmm. not a lot of people have and I have a lot of things to say so like I I can be a good comedian I can be a great comedian if I nurture myself and Mm -hmm. I find you know a place where I can feel safe right and and I know Honestly, I know that if I if I if I have to face another instance, like I just told you about, like another person just like eviscerating me in front Mm -hmm. of everyone and no, Mm -hmm. no one backing me up. I don't know if I'll recover from that. So (laughs) unless uh, you are in a safe space where you have people that are there to jump in and help support you. Exactly. Like, I don't, that's the thing is like, I'm so afraid. Like, I don't even want to go to a place where that might be the case. Like, Mm. I really, I really just like, am keeping myself and trying to to find, you know, niche, queer and um, POC spaces. Yeah. Um, Well, you can really see it. I just want to feel safe. Yeah. When you go to like, say the comedy store or something like that, and there is a, a POC comic up there, and it's a majority white audience. And there was an experience I had uh, a few months ago where Owen Smith, a comedian, he's a black comic, and he is a writer or was a writer on Blackish. And his set was for black folks. And I was I was one of a few people that were laughing pretty hard, but I was the literally the only person in the big room was the only person laughing when he was talking about. Um, women using like a silk wrap on their hair before they go to bed and what that meant as soon as he saw, Mm -hmm. you know, his partner put her head wrap on. And like, I could not believe I was the only person who could relate to that, even though I don't necessarily need a silk wrap for my hair when I go to bed. I'm from that community. I'm aware of what that means, you know, and all this other kind of stuff. And the way he told his joke, which I wish I remembered what the joke was more than I remember how I was the only person laughing at it. Um, yeah, like I, I was thinking in that moment, how brutal it is to be a POC comic or an LGBT comic or any other kind of intersectional thing and be in a predominantly white club, white audience and have to be funny, but either decide I'm going to be funny while telling my own stories and you you, audience, you're just going to have to deal with it. Or I'm going to have to adjust my material just to get the laughter from a predominantly white white room. And it's not like I haven't had that experience before, but with him, for some reason, it was really specific. Like that's when I really realized, you know, a a POC comic has to work so hard to decide, you know, because part of the reason why comedians are comedians, I think, especially once, you know, like you and I who um, suffer from depression and and have other things uh, that we deal with um, on our mental health side, is that with being funny, it's it's kind of a validating thing for us. It's kind of a way to put the pause button on our depression um, or our anxiety for a while. You know, like it's a distraction. There's there's so many 
it's so layered what goes on mm-hmm. when you're kind of like a, a person that has these issues and then also is a comic. And, and you hear a lot about how comedians tend to be on this spectrum. And if, if on top of that, you have to add that your material is only going to speak to a group, a small group, but you still want to try to get big. You still want to get your shit out there. You still want to be represented. So you have to eventually go into these spaces that may be uncomfortable for you. Like how fucking brutal that experience <laughs> yeah. would be on a regular basis. So it makes sense to, oh my gosh, what a relief. I'm at a, a queer Asian feminist comedy night or I'm at a you <laughs> yeah. know, black comedy night like these. And it's even as an audience member, I feel that too. Like I used to go to Smart, Funny and Black a lot with Amanda Seals. It's like a game show for black comics and it's once a month. And I would finally feel black. Like after my whole day of being yeah. at work surrounded by white people, I got to be in this space and feel black. And it was like a fucking relief. And I was just yeah. an audience member, <laughs> uh, you know, like not even yeah. thinking about oh. having to get on that stage and tell a joke, you know, as a mixed person to an audience of white people that are just like i don't know how to relate you know yeah yeah like i fully understand why you want to be in those those safe spaces and they probably help you armor up too so that as you get more of a following and hopefully become you know more of a presence for that representation stuff that you can be in those spaces that are less you know quote unquote for you so that you can start to shake up things for other people even as it's not necessarily your responsibility to do that you know i mean unfortunately yeah. everything we do is is like that it's like i want to do this cuz i want representation i don't want to have to do this you know i don't want to have to break these ceilings and and barriers down and but that's what we is <laughs> kind of what yeah, we, we, we got to do it. no matter what yeah um i think that that's something it's really interesting is like I have definitely performed in front of white audiences like that's that's what my majority of like my I guess comedic upbringing was was performing in front of like very white audience for Orange County and um I think you know being mixed race and also like even though I'm mad at my dad now like you know he was my best friend for a really long time and he really influenced a lot of my comedy Mm. and and my sense of humor and so I don't like, uh, I have this kind of saying where I'm just like, you know, I'm not two-faced. I'm multifaceted, like a diamond, like I, <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm adaptable. I'm very much adaptable to different situations. And that comes up from my upbringing is like, you know, well, you know, I got to act a certain way around my mom or I got to act and talk a certain way around my dad and just, you know, those two sides of the fa- yeah. family. So like, I don't, I mean, now I just don't want to, to perform that much for primarily white audiences like I'll mm-hmm. perform in front of anyone but it's like I don't want to well, I used to literally think like okay well if I'm if you know I can do this this and this joke for this audience and then if oh oh I I'm going to this audience oh my god now I can bring out this material like um <laughs> you know like it's it's uh, I I'm used to tailoring for my whole life I've been used to tailoring like what mm-hmm. I say to the environment I'm in but and wouldn't it be nice if you never had to do that? Wouldn't you, it would be it nice would, if you were just a chubby white yeah. dude that can go on stage and talk about dating? It would be not being able so to get a hot great. enough girl Cause, in L.A. Because <laughs> there have been some times where, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to say whatever the fuck I want. And I've done that in front of a white audience and then met been met with backlash been met with people saying stuff to me while I'm on stage. And like mm-hmm. one night I was just like, fuck it. I don't you know, I, I'm just going to say whatever the fuck I want want and the whole night right in front of me was this chubby white dude and his filipino um fiance and all these other dudes went up and they would say racist weird racist jokes um like i guess friendly racist jokes about them t- together mm. and 
the woman felt so uncomfortable the whole time and this dude right. just kept going like <laughs> right honey right honey and I was I was just so triggered I was like oh my god these are my parents and like I went up yeah. on stage and I even said that I was like hi I'm your daughter from the future and you know they laughed at that um and then I kind of told the woman I was like you should run like you need to leave like it's not gonna end up well like and yeah. she was kind of uncomfortable with that but he was more uncomfortable you know sure. like he was way more uncomfortable and then I think I went and and honestly it was a pretty mixed room it was literally just like two white guys in the front and maybe like a smattering of white dudes in the back but you know they I feel like as soon as one person well white person comes into the room especially if they sit in the front they dictate the whole night Right. They're, they feel vocal. They feel like they are in charge still. Yeah. Even if they're outnumbered. And, you know, I basically said, I was like, see, this is why I can't date white dudes. I, I don't, I don't want to do it. And like, I, it wasn't even funny. I just kind of went on a rant and this mm-hmm. guy in the front just said very loudly, well, I hope you don't speak for all Asian women. Ew. And I was like, no, I, what? I was like, what? I was like, are you stupid? Of course I don't fucking speak for all Asian women. That be, do you speak for all white men? Because I hope you don't, because that's why I don't date white men. If you do, then that's why I don't date them. Mm -hmm. And people laugh after that. But it was like, if I was just in a POC room, I wouldn't have had to go go on that you know i wouldn't have right. had to go on that rant i would have, have had to deal with that heckler i could have just said i don't date white men and people would have understood yeah and, and honestly it doesn't matter what kind of poc you are or even what kind of mix you are in a poc space we all have this like unspoken understanding and agreement in those spaces where it's exactly, majority yeah. us we're just like we get it. Whatever your thing is, we have a version of it too. So we get it. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I think that's the thing is like, I, I just, because it was like, I just spent so many, so long trying to, you know, it's like trying to, having to explain my backstory, having to explain my history, having to explain, well, why do you feel this way about white people, blah, 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 blah. And so then to just go into a space with, and not have to explain anything, not to have, to have any, give any background information is just so freeing. Like, oh, now I can finally explore. Now I can finally, you know, move out of the, you know, um, you know, of the what is that called in a video game the tutorial now i can move out of tutorial (laughs) and i can go on to the next level you know what i mean like that's what it's like working in a poc space is Mm -hmm. because i feel like in white space it's like okay i gotta go up on stage i gotta explain to everybody what kind of race i am i gotta tell everybody this this and this you know but if i go to like like i had a show called i was on a show called filipino af And I did want to talk about being Filipino, but I could, you know, and I did do the whole like, I'm mixed race. Here's a little bit about that. But I didn't have to spend the whole night talking about that. Like I was able to talk about more advanced stuff about my experience as a Filipino woman, where I feel like in white rooms, I do have to spend the majority of the time talking about my white dad, because that's how I'll connect with the audience. Right. Which I I don't mind it. And it's it is a part of my identity, but it's nice to venture outside of that. Yeah. You have to lay so much context for people when you're in a white space that you don't yeah. really have to, that bl- blanks are just filled in um, when you're in a POC space of any kind. Yeah. But that, that, uh, that actually gets us to our time. I think we did pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we could probably do this a bunch. I mean, I know even in our little like 15 minute breaks, you and I usually have like really, um, lively discussions about this. And I'm probably going to follow you around forever after our classes are over just because, <laughs> like, I just enjoy you as a person. And, oh. and I see, I I see you because I was a version of you at your age, you know, <laughs> like, 
I dealt with yeah. a lot of the same type of things, you know, my versions of them, but like, I, I get it. I, I get where, um, sort of where you're at. And I see, I see the, I just see the experience. I, and I see that need that like we all kind of have when we're trying to, when we're, when we're flipping back and forth between understanding who we are and then, Oh wait, this happened. Now I don't, um, now I got to do this all over again. Like I, I remember feeling that way. And to a degree, I still have that, um, a version of that from time to time. So I, I feel like we could probably do this a bunch of times. Why don't you let everybody know how to connect with you so that they can seek out your comedy and everything like that your social media anything you got coming up yeah so um follow me on twitter and instagram at depressed auntie all one word and then auntie is spelled a-u-n-t-y i don't do the i-e and um yeah that's where like you can find out about any of my shows from that um probably mostly from twitter is where i'll like put up new shows and stuff um but yeah that's that's about it yeah okay all right thank you so much for coming on with me and i guess uh we got we got to start cracking on our last assignments because our thing is coming to an end soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got to do that. Yeah, we got to do that. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.